you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Command Zone podcast. I, I almost said game nights. I always do that when Jimmy's not here. By the way, Jimmy's not here. I am joined, though, by a very special guest, Mr. Infect, Craig Blanchett. What's up, guys? Craig, you may recognize from the latest episode of Game Nights, jolly old St. Craig. That's right. He made, made some crazy decks. That's right. He made some crazy decks for us to play, and we brought Craig on for a very special episode. You know, we always say, you probably hear us, you're probably tired of hearing us say it, which is that every deck needs 10 ramp cards in it, but there are a lot of choices for what those ramp cards could be. So today, this is going to be the ramp episode. We're talking about which ramp cards you should use, what the differences are between them, why you should choose some over others. It's pretty complicated. It is, but we're going to simplify it for you. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, plus, there's a bunch of cards where it's actually kind of hard to tell if you should count them as ramp or not. Yeah, we definitely went through this a bit in the, like, getting ready for this episode, and we were like, does this a ramp card? Yeah, that's a ramp card, but does it really... So we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, we had some disagreements, some arguments, so the, you're going to get to hear that, which is a little bit fun. But before we get into it, we're going to talk about a bunch of cards today. And of course, you're going to want to pick up some of those cards. And the best place to do it is by going to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use our affiliate link when you order your magic products, singles, anything at all, you really are supporting this show, Game Nights, all of our content. You're going to buy magic cards anyway. You may as well help support our content as just added value. You know we love value here at the command zone. And in addition to Card Kingdom, you can also support all of our stuff just by purchasing Ultra Pro products. You know, they make the awesome Eclipse sleeves, what I think are the best sleeves on the market right now that will protect your cards. A lot of the cards are not super, super cheap. Even if it's five bucks, you don't really want it to get scuffed up and stuff, right? Yeah, actually, all those cards in uh, in those episodes from Game Nights were uh, sleeved in... Uh and eclipse sleeves and i've left them sleeves in the eclipse sleeves dropped them the other day everything's fine no cuts no uh no rips anywhere so craig's endorsement is big because you may have noticed he plays with a lot of like fancy foil judge promos and stuff like that so if craig is willing to put his cards into ultra pro sleeves they're definitely good enough for you uh, and the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone in fact we shout out to one lucky patron every single episode and this episode is dedicated to spencer waters spencer you rock you do patrons get to see things like game nights a day earlier than everybody out there, than the general public. They get to, you know, tease their friends about it, hopefully not spoil it, things like that. They get to talk to us on the Discord. A lot of advantages to becoming a patron. So again, patreon.com slash command zone. All right, main topic, mana ramp. 
one of the pillars of our format, something we probably have talked about in some way on every single episode of this show, all 303 now. Super important. We've never dedicated an entire episode to ramp, though. Which is crazy. It's like, it's one of the most important things in Magic. Yeah, we touch on it a lot. And we did a mana basis, a couple mana basis episode, which kind of talked about ramp as part of that. But we've never said, this episode's about ramp. Craig, ramp is near and dear to your heart and your play style. This was something, you know, as we were talking about what episode we could do with Jimmy gone this week. Um, what is it, you know, I guess we should start out with like, what is ramp? Our general definition is a ramp card is anything that gets you ahead on the normal amount of mana you would have if you just played one mana per turn, one land per turn. So anything that allows you to use more mana than that amount of mana. So you're on turn four, you could have played four lands. So if on turn four, somehow you have access to five mana, six mana, you've ramped in some way. Right. You agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. Now, why would you say ramp is, you know, important in commander specifically or, or something that you know you told me i put a ton of ramp in all my decks so i do i try to put at least 10 pieces of ramp in all of my decks and i favor the uh, artifact ramp i favor artifact ramp that's two mana or less and we had a discussion about this and there's plenty of different ways to ramp in your deck a lot of it's dependent on your general or your play style or you know what turn you want to have that general out and what you want to be doing with that general and I typically look at that to see what type of ramp I throw in. So there's... Well, hold on. Before you get into the examples, because we're going to get into that in a second, I just mean broadly. Ramp is good because... You get to play big stuff earlier. And that's a huge advantage. If I'm playing four mana stuff and Craig's playing six mana stuff, the way the game is balanced, he's going to be playing better stuff generally. Uh, never mind that sometimes Craig is playing eight mana stuff while I'm playing four mana stuff. That happens quite often. Um, so casting bigger things in your opponents, it makes it hard for them to match. Especially at an earlier turn. If you yeah. can cast like an eight CMC spell on turn four or five, that's something that the, the designers of Magic meant to be played on turn eight. So if you can put something out, especially if it helps prevent the rest of the table from doing stuff, you're that much further ahead. One of the basic theories of Magic 2 from the old days, but I think it still in some ways holds true, is that the player in a game who spends the most mana overall is generally the player that's going to win. Right. We talk about efficiency a lot, which is spending all your mana every turn, but also just having more mana available to spend will allow you to spend more. So that means on turn 5, I spent 6 mana, then turn 6, I spent 8 mana, then turn 8, I spent 10 mana that's going to add up those little increments and I'm just going to have an extra four or drop an extra five drop two extra five drops in play over the course of a game than the rest of the players did. Okay. I think we're preaching to the choir. I think you know why ramp is good. There is a downside to ramp though. There's um, a disadvantage to it because it takes cards to give you ramp. Right. So you can run into the problem, the classic problem of over ramping, which is similar to mana flood, which means I have a ton of mana. I have nothing to spend that mana on. Right. Which is definitely a problem that I've had in the past. You know, mana ramp goes very well with card draw. And if you don't have the card draw to accompany it, you could be left dead in the water. Right. So that's kind of one of the problems with ramp and over ramping and why we don't see a ton of decks that are just like 30 ramp cards because you're very likely to only draw the ramp part of your deck and not the do other stuff part of your deck. Um, let's talk really quickly here about I think uh, something 
people have a problem with or a problem uh, distinguishing between, which is ramp and fixing. So these two things are related, but they're not the same. How would you explain the difference to somebody out there? So ramping is more when you spend mana to get one extra or more extra mana for either one following turn or more successive following turns. Whereas fixing is more finding the right color to make your deck work. So one example is land tax. Land tax is a type of card where if your other if your other players have more land than you, you can go through your library and grab three basic lands, put them into your hand, and now you've done card draw and mana fixing. Right, because you can find any color lands with that. So if you've, land tax costs a white, so you've already got white. But let's say you're in a, I don't know, a Boros deck, and you don't have any mountains in your hand yet. Land tax will allow you to go find those mountains. Right. That, I think a lot of people think that land tax is ramp. The thing, I think the important thing to note here is that land tax puts cards into your hand. It doesn't put cards into play on the battlefield. Right. So on turn two, you land tax, you get mountains, you play a mountain. You still only have two mana available to you. You don't have three. So land tax didn't ramp you. It fixed you. Fixing is when you get your colors straightened out. I need green. I find green. I need blue. I find blue. But that doesn't necessarily also include I find blue in addition to the mana I could play for turn, which is what Rampant Growth does or Kodama's Reach does because it goes and finds a land, puts it into play, and you still get to play your land for turn. So now you've ramped and fixed. I think that's why it's confusing because a lot of times ramp does also incidentally fix you. But think of like Soul Ring. Soul Ring doesn't fix your colors anyway. It just gives you raw extra mana. Right. Because it's colorless mana, which I know there's some exceptions, but generally isn't useful to casting spells specifically. So I think that is something really hard for some people to grasp. If the card allows you to have more mana than you should have if you just played one land for turn, it's ramp. It doesn't care about what the color is. If it doesn't do that, but it somehow makes it so that it's easier to find the color you need than it's fixing. There's a a lot of filtering cards that sort of like you can pay one and tap the thing and it'll turn that mana into whatever mana color you want. Like the signets or things like that. But the problem is the signets signets are two mana for one mana. Right. So they're ramp. I'm thinking of like prismatic omen, which makes your, it's kind of like chromatic lantern, but it doesn't also tap for mana. It's an enchantment that makes your lands all basic land types. It's like the old one. Yeah, exactly. Before they knew how to fix it properly. Well, before that, yeah, they knew how to make it good. So what it does is it doesn't change the amount of mana you have. It just says, hey, you don't have to worry about colors anymore. So that fixes you. It's not that it's not useful. It's just not the same as ramp. Um, And I think in general, there is enough ramp that also fixes that you almost never need to play cards like Prismatic Omen unless you have a really good reason because you may as well just get ramp with your fixing. Right. I think the last time I saw that was in like a Jota deck, which makes sense. If you're playing Jota, play that card. All right. So let's talk about the different types of ramp that there are. And there are a ton of different ones to choose from these days. I think probably when we started playing Magic, there you, you were uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel after a couple of ramp cards. Now there's just tons. There really was. I mean, there were just a couple, like, there were some sorceries like Rampant Growth, there were mana dorks like Llanowar Elves, and there were artifacts that they went nuts with back in the day. Yeah. Honestly, the artifacts that they printed back in the day, there's a reason why they're so expensive, because they're so good. Yeah, um, they didn't know how to balance them back then. But then you kind of, like, ran out. Um, 
you know, you got through the signets and you were kind of like, okay, well now, uh, uh, we'll talk about this later, but a lot of decks used to run stuff like Thran Dynamo because I think that was just kind of like, you had to run it. There wasn't a lot of options. At the time, four mana for three mana was very good. And there wasn't as much artifact and enchantment removal back then. That's another thing that they've really done really well with is making sure that you have answers to some of these threats. And make no mistake, Thran Dynamo is a threat. It, yeah, and I think Thran Dynamo, not that it never gets played, but it. we'll talk about it again later. I barely right. play it anymore. You I don't either. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so different types of ramp. There's creature-based ramp. And for this, we're talking about stuff that the creature has to remain on the battlefield for you to get the ramp out of it. So there's ones that tap for mana, like Birds of Paradise, Landwar Elves, Bloom Tender is a really good one. Uh, Deathrite Shaman is a really, really good one. Uh, it sort of taps for mana. You have to meet some criteria. Um, there's creatures that untap lands. So Cure's Follower, uh, Voyaging Seder, those are type of cards. That's still ramp, right? Because that creature is basically giving you extra mana. That Stitcher one that you like. Fate Stitcher. Fate Stitcher. Really, really good. <laughs> Seen you use that too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's Cost Reducers, which I think a lot of people don't think of as ramp, but definitely are. So Nightscape Familiar. It, I love that card. Yeah, it will reduce the cost of your red and blue spells. And so it's actually can be better than a Lanwar Elf in a lot of circumstances, because if you cast a red spell, then a blue spell, it saved you two mana in that turn. It can save you three mana in a turn, which means it's sort of equivalent to tapping for that amount of mana. I would count that as ramp. Absolutely. Uh, there's creatures that make your lands tap for more mana than they would otherwise tap for. Yeah. So Nikia of the old ways allows you to tap your lands and produce double, basically, and... There's a little stipulation where you can, you can only class creature spells. Of course, Craig would say Vorinclex. Um, <laughs> Promoters, okay. baby. Yep. So those are the creature ones. There's artifact ones, which you were talking about earlier. We've got the Signets, Soul Ring. Those are easy ones. Those are, again, artifacts that tap for mana. There's tons of those. Mana rocks, we call them. There's um, also artifacts that make your lands tap for more mana. So yep. Tap for double. Extra like planar lands. Cage Sun. There's also cost reducers in artifacts. So the medallion cycle. Yep. Urza's Incubator. Urza's Incubator. Those will reduce the cost of your spells similar to Nightscape Familiar. Dragon Arch. Uh, Enchantment-based stuff. There's actually enchantments we kind of threw on there, but I think they have the widest variety of different... Yeah, I didn't realize this until we really started going through it, but the enchantment-based ramp... It's, it, it's worth it's worth taking a second look at. I'm I'm definitely going to be taking a second look at it after this episode. So there's not really enchantments that you tap the enchantment to produce mana. Like there is creatures and artifacts, but there are enchantments that you put onto lands that then make the land tap for more mana. A really good one that's massively underplayed is Wild Growth. It's one green mana. You enchant the land. It taps and it creates an extra green mana. Now there's some restrictions to it, but at the same time. That's kind of a signet that costs one. Absolutely. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. It's in some ways I'd say better than like Landwar Elves because it's less susceptible to removal. I mean, not that it can't be removed. There's just a lot more creature removal Makes than there the is. the same green mana. Yeah. Less susceptible to removal. And it's part of the original and you can, set. You can often use it the turn it comes into play because you put it on a, not the land that you tapped for it. You put it on a different land and then it basically was free the turn you played it. Right. Which Landwar Elves can't do. Um. Of course, there are enchantments that make all your lands tap for more mana. This is a Craig favorite, Mirari's Wake. Yep. 
very powerful card. Uh, your land stop for double, Zanacar basically. Surgeon. Here's an underplayed card in the casual circles, but not in the competitive circles. Uh, the very powerful card, card, Carpet of Flowers. Went up a ridiculous amount recently. Went from like $2 to $20 in a few days. Like, it's been crazy. That is not our fault. We have not talked about we it didn't recently. Talk about so maybe it, yeah. it was Mitch or... So, or the, they or, actually reprinted it in the... Or maybe uh, a Prof talked about it or something. In that mystery set. The, uh, the one mystery that you can... Booster? The mystery boosters. They have it in there. So. Okay. Did that's that make like it go up all art. of a sudden? You would think I that, that would no make it go idea. down. Well, regardless, what it it's a weird card. It's an enchantment for one green mana, and then uh, at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you can add an amount of mana of any one color equal to the number of islands target player controls. So you pick one player that's playing blue that has the most islands, and you get that much mana of any one color into your mana pool. Every turn... There's bound to be somebody playing blue. You're playing EDH. <laughs> So somebody's playing blue. <laughs> I mean, first of all, at the worst it could be in general. I mean, it could be zero. Okay. I've played a few games where I have it in the deck. I'm not playing against somebody who's blue. Boo-hoo. Yeah, rarely happens. Rarely right. happens. But even if there's only one island, you would play any one mana rock that produced one mana. That's better than a signet, right? Way better than a signet. Almost as good as a soul ring. Often it's two or more mana what two mana it's a soul ring three mana it's better than a soul ring which is universally considered the most powerful card in the history of magic pretty yep. much so carpet of flowers take a look at it uh there's a little bit of a downside obviously if nobody's playing blue but that's pretty rare and a little bit of a nuance to it it was printed before the new rules and whatnot so there's an old writing on it it says at the beginning of your main phase add this if you are carrying it over from another turn, you get to choose which main phase it happens on. It does not happen on both. However, if you do play it on main phase one, you get to activate it on main phase two, which is always good. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So you can get it the turn you play it? So you can get it for main phase two if you play it main phase one, the turn that you play it. But if you are carrying it over from the turn before, you can choose main phase one or main phase two to add that mana. Okay, so I'm going to read the Oracle text here. He's yep. correct, but just to be clear. It says, at the beginning of each of your main phases, if you haven't added mana with this ability this turn, you may add X mana of any one color where X is the number of islands target opponent controls. Sorry, it's target opponent. I think it said target player earlier. Oh, so I just learned something. I didn't know you could get this the turn that you played it. That makes it way, way like, better. so good. Yeah. Right. So you can often net mana the turn you play it. That's crazy. Okay. Well, you learn something new every day, folks. And I've got Carbon Flowers in like four decks. Uh, <laughs> I never looked up the Oracle text. Okay. Uh, there are also enchantments that make stuff, and the stuff that it makes makes mana. Mm. So we talked about this card a lot, but Smothering Tithe, obviously. Okay. Here's a card that makes treasure, which is ramp, because treasure turned into mana. Uh, you brought these next two up, which are, I didn't even think about, but are yeah. also ramp. I use these in Prosh, Awakening Zone and From Beyond. I use them for a different reason because it helps me to have creatures that I can sacrifice to my edict effects. Right. But they also help ramp me into Prosh, which then replenishes the amount of tokens I have. Ugh. So both of these are enchantments that make either Eldrazi Scion or Eldrazi Spawn. And those are creature tokens, but the creature tokens have the ability to be sacked and create colorless mana. So you're talking about overlap here, which is right. the idea that like, 
I want the creatures, but I also sometimes want the mana. That's just good deck building. However, these can be put in a deck, you know, you, you could be like, oh, I mostly want ramp, but sometimes I want the creatures. Or I mostly want creatures, but sometimes I want the ramp. But either way, they play bro both roles. And typically they go in token decks, which, you know, as we were mentioning before, you want to take a look at your commander first to see what kind of ramp do I want in this deck? And these both go really well in token decks because... Again, if you combo them with any sort of token doubler, now you're making twice the tokens, twice the mana, and you're just building extra synergy into it. So take a look at your commander to make sure that you're putting the right type of ramp in. All right, and then there's also enchantments that sort of transform into what I would call a mega mana producer. So Growing Rites of Illamok flips over and becomes Gaia's Cradle. Actually, slightly better guy's cradle because it does tap for green on its own. But then if you have creatures, it taps for green equal to the number of creatures you control. There's Storm the Vaults, which is, or Storm the Vault, which is, turns into Tolarian, Tolarian Academy. Academy, which taps. Which, just unban it. Just a banned card. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, just unban it. It's, it's a cool. land that taps for the number, for mana equal to the number of artifacts you control. Uh, there's also enchantments that sort of turn other things you control into mana producers. So Cryptolithrite is an example of this. It makes all of your creatures into Birds of Paradise, basically. Yep. Uh, those are very, very powerful. So enchantments cover the gamut as far as things that um, ramp you. There's also another category, which we'll talk about in a second, um, that allow you to put more lands into play. So, uh, okay, that's enchantments. Planeswalker-based ramp. This one is a little bit... There's different ways that Planeswalkers ramp you. Um, there's something like Garrick Wildspeaker, which untaps lands, so that's ramp. Yeah. Uh, also, Teferi, yep. the the uh, mono-blue Planeswalker from uh, Commander 2015. Yep. Untaps anything, Up basically. to four permanents, yeah. Yep. There's Nyssa, the World Waker, which untaps four, per or four forests. Right. Which is unreal. Freilis, who makes little mana dorks, little Lanoir yep. elves, basically. And then Xenagos, which is used to be played a lot, but kind of has been underrepresented lately. But I think he might make a bit of a comeback. Because for 4 CMC, his plus makes X mana equal to the number of creatures you control in red or green. And you can filter that out. You don't red have to and have or green. And or green, yeah. right. So you can add any combination of red and or green for the amount of creatures you control Xenagos is powerful. It's it's a guy's cradle, basically. Right. right. Uh, slightly better because it can create two color mana. So as a guy's cradle possible budget replacement, Xenagos kind of fits the bill. There's even stuff like Nissa Steward of Elements, which is sort of conditional maybe ramp because if you find a land in the top X cards, then you can put it into play. Uh, I don't know if I would count that as ramp, but... It, I had that in a deck and the three times that I tried to get it, it didn't work out for me. <laughs> but... Then That's I played against data. Cassius, who was able to make it just, like, rain with it. So, <laughs> so be Cassius is the, yeah, is, be Cassius. Is, is the moral <laughs> of that story. Uh, then we have land-based ramp. And this is stuff that puts extra lands into play. And this comes in two categories. So there are search your land, there's search your library for lands and then put that land onto the battlefield. So rampant growth, Kodama's Reach, Wood Elves is a creature that ETBs and does this, Solemn Simulacrum. Uh, I put Burnished Heart in this category, which you can, it's Absolutely. a creature you can sacrifice, and it basically explosive vegetations. Wayfarer's Bobble is an artifact that basically should go in every deck without green in it, and you sack it and put a land directly into play, um, pay a little bit of mana. The reason that I would put Wayfarer's Bobble under, 
its own category rather rather than artifact based ramp is because once these cards do their thing the lands in play so you don't care if the artifact is stick to, sticks around like right. burnish art or whatever you don't need the thing itself so if they vandal blast it it your land's still there you're still getting the value you got right uh, and now and there's also land based ramp that doesn't search your library and put it into play it allows you to play extra lands from your hand and put them onto the battlefield so exploration burgeoning um oracle of moldiah which actually lets you play the land off the top of your library also azusa wayward sword tooth these all say you can play additional lands uh, per turn oracle so good because it also provides the card draw because exploration um not really that great if you don't have a lot of card draw because you're likely to just put your lands into play and then you're just where you would be two turns ahead of where you would be but with oracle how you can play off the top of your library as soon as you flip over that card if it's a land you now play that and that's the equivalent of drawing that card in your hand and playing it absolutely also these cards combo incredibly well with a uh crucible of worlds or rammy nap excavator things to consider i just want to take it back for a second too to the lands that you search and put onto the battlefield i always thought and you were explaining to me this before that there's actually a little bit of i always thought that searching through your deck for a land putting it out thins out my deck right now i'm i'm really thinning out my deck i'm really adding to the to the synergy here right, right? land tax is another is a big one because it feels like a lot i got six cards over two turns out of my deck right and you, Mr. Stats over here, would yeah. tell me that's like Craig. No. Statistically, deck things, thinning is not a thing. I think it's fine to do it if it costs you nothing, like land tax or whatever. But it's I wouldn't take any action that costs me any resources in game to quote unquote thin my deck. Thinning is not a thing. It doesn't change the odds basically at all for you. Now, is that because of it? It's a hundred card system. Even or? in sixty, they've found that it's like. It's negligible. super marginal how much it matters. So yep. it's, I just, listen, it's fine to thin if, again, if it costs you nothing. Land tax, it costs you nothing. It's fine to do it. But I wouldn't play land tax because I want to thin my deck out. I would play land tax because I want to get lands in my hand and maybe I have discard outlets or other things. But right. yeah. I want to see stats on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and the last category, category is ramp on lands so these are lands that ramp you so ancient tomb jimmy's favorite just yep. taps for two mana costs you one land drop but makes two mana that's why it really can go in almost every deck and be good because that's just insanely powerful on its own does have the major drawback of dealing two damage to you that can be a, a factor in whether you win the game or not later on in the game but if it helps you get out your crazy haymakers even faster now you're setting yourself up for a good time. Uh, Guy's Cradle, which we've referred to a couple times this episode, obviously a very expensive card, but can ramp you a ton because it taps for equal to the amount of creatures you have. Here's one, Cabal Coffers, which pay a couple mana, tap it, and then it creates mana equal to the number of swamps you control. So generally you play this suite of cards with Urborg, Cabal Coffers, Expedition Map, So, and you're in black, obviously, so you have other tutors. And so this is kind of a reliable way to get, you know, Cabal Coffers to create a ton of mana for you every turn. So I would consider that with that correct setup to be a ramp card in the deck. Absolutely. Um, here's an interesting one that's a little controversial these days. It's become contentious, I'd say, in the community. It's Temple of the False God. This is a land that taps for two mana if you control at least five lands. Otherwise, it taps for zero mana. So right. it can be your fifth land. But if you don't have four other lands, 
it's uh, not good. It's kind of a major feel bad in a lot of situations. I personally don't play it in any decks. We were talking before this. I might put it in Zakama after this because I'm putting enough land ramp in that deck where by turn three, turn four, I should be able to make that come online. But for the most part, like if I draw a hand of seven, I have three lands and one of them's a temple of the false god. I'm probably going to ditch that hand. And just well, you should. Yeah, and just uh, be you like, have to think of it as an explosive vegetation. Right. You don't think of it as a land in your hand. Right. Right. Because right. it's yeah. ter- four mana to get this out, and then you're on five. Right, it's an right. explosive vegetation that you know costs zero mana to play. If that makes sense. Sure. But but it, you have to meet a criteria for it to be good. Yeah, I think it's funny because I I think it was overrated before, and now I think it's underrated. I think people have gone the other way. I don't think it's pro- it's correct to never run it. I definitely don't think that either, which is why I think in Zakama it makes sense. Yeah, in a land in a, in a deck that you're ramping enough land based ramp land based ramp, it makes sense. Yeah, I think most green decks are doing that. I also think though too. On the other hand, I'll sometimes run it in like a Boros deck. Because my ramp options are pretty thin. Sure. And so it's like, listen, I'm going to, it's a little risky. Now, Every once in a while it's going to bite me, but I, I need I need to try and keep up with everybody. And having a land that taps for two is one way to do that. So I'm interested to see, because I run like uh, Cross and Verge and, uh, and Myriad Landscape right. in instead of Temple of the False Gods. And I'd be interested to see some of the stats on that to see which one's a, a better payoff. Because what I, I'm doing is I'm, I have to then put extra mana into it. It comes in tapped. Yeah. Then I have to put extra mana into it to get two more mana out of it. Let's explain. Mirror Landscape and Curse and Verge are both lands that you tap and sacrifice and go find two lands and put onto the battlefield tapped. Right. I think the difference here is that those both those lands, Mirror Landscape and Curse and Verge, they, on their own, tap for mana. Right. One colorless. But they come they come, in, they come in tapped, but you can play it as your land drop for turn and there's been many games where i played my mirror landscape and just never found a place you just or sit on need it for a while. i just use it as right. a land for right. four or five turns or maybe even never crack it right uh and temple of false god doesn't work like that because if it's not online it taps for zero mana it does nothing right the way i use temple of false god and again i only have it in a couple decks because it's not it's not great in every deck for sure um is I in my deck building, it doesn't even take up a land slot in my head. It's like Maze of Ith. Right. Like right. when you build a deck and you put Maze of Ith in it, you don't t- count that as one of your lands. May- even if you have Urborg or something, I still think you don't. Yeah, every once in a while yeah. you get lucky and like somebody else plays an Urborg while you, ha- while yeah, you have that Yeah, but you out. don't <laughs> count on that happening. So you put it as a spell slot right. in your head. And right. that's why I'll play it in a Boros deck or something sometimes. I'll have 37 lands plus Temple of the False God, because Temple of the False God is like an explosive vegetation in my Boros deck. So when I draw it, and I don't have four lands in play, that's the same as drawing a... Dead card. It's the same as drawing explosive vegetation, where if I don't have four lands, then I couldn't cast it anyway, so it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, That's how I think of it. I think if you're building your deck and Temple of the False God is in it, and you're counting it in the land slot, it's not going to work. You need to count it in the ramp slot. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Okay, so there are are ramp cards the different ones in the different categories but how do you know which ones to use which ones of all of these are best for this deck or that deck we're going to go over all of that in a second but let's take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors 
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Okay, we're back and we're talking about ramp cards in EDH. We're getting down to the really interesting stuff here. We just covered all the different types of ramp Uh Obviously, not every single card that ramps in the history of Magic, just the types of ramp that there are. But I think the big question here is, and the big thing that sort of pushes people over the edge from like, okay, deck builders to good deck builders is choosing the right cards for your deck. And for ramp specifically, you know, I guess the question we got to ask is how do you choose which of these ramp packages or which types of ramp to put in your deck? You kind of talked about it a little earlier. Yeah, because there's so many different types of ramp. There's mana, there's mana rocks. There's which are artifacts. Just to be clear, there's creature-based ramp. There's enchantment-based ramp, planeswalker-based ramp, land-based ramp, ramp that puts extra lands into play, land ramp that uh, is just attached to a certain effect or that scales with the amount of creatures you have. Um, and so, first, taking a look at your commander and what your commander really wants to do is the first thing to look at, as well as the CMC of that commander, if that's part of your overall strategy. Yeah, I think, well, let's let's separate these two things. So let's talk first about the CMC of your commander. I think this is actually a point that a lot of players don't consider. What ramp I want really will depend on the CMC of my commander. I think about this a lot when I'm building my deck. So the ramp that I'll allow to be in my deck is very, very different if my commander costs three, four, or five plus. Absolutely. So if my commander costs, let's say three, 
I'm going to look very hard to try and find as many one-drop effects as I can that create one additional mana. So wild growth, birds of paradise. I'll probably even think about land war elves, boreal druids, you know, all this. Green has a ton of, like, one-mana dorks. Yep. Where I wouldn't run as much of that stuff maybe if I had a four CMC commander. You know, I might, I might not. Or five. Sure. I might look for the two-drop slot. Here's Because here's the thinking. Right. If I play a one drop that can create mana on turn one, that means on turn two, I have three mana available to me. And I might be able to play my commander. Right. Of course, we're considering decks where that's important. Some decks don't necessarily want to play their commander as fast as possible, but but I'd say a large percentage do. Right. But if I'm a four drop commander, well, now it's like, okay, two CMC or less. Because you basically want to say, how can I play my commander at least a turn early? Exactly. One more turn, one turn faster than what it actually costs to get out. And then once you get past five, six, seven mana, you really want to get that out two or three turns ahead of where you're at. That's uh, where I might consider a Thran Dynamo or a Gilded Lotus or something like that when my commander costs seven or something. Sure. Because it's going to jump me from turn four to turn seven guaranteed. Or even just sitting on a Grim Monolith or a uh, Mana Vault that you put out turn one or two, leaving it untapped, not tapping it for the mana yet, and then turn three, now you have six, tap that, get your six mana, six CMC commander in, do whatever Whereas you do. Whereas with no other synergies, maybe I don't even play a Mana Vault in that deck if it's a three drop commander, because it's not really gonna likely help me cast that. Right. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, so thinking about the CMC of your commander, what it is, will help you, I think, in what mana ramp you want to have. I mean, I think it's really like, like Thran Dynamo, we keep going back to it. It's just a good example, but it could work for a lot of different things. If I have a four CMC commander, I don't want my ramp to be at four because I know what I want to do when I have four mana. It's cast my commander. So I want my ramp to happen before that. And three doesn't really help you because what happens if you cast a three CMC mana ramp card? Then on turn four, you have five mana. You're just going to waste that extra mana probably because you're going to want to play your commander. So you really want your mana ramp to be at two or less for four CMC. And then maybe you could do three if it's five CMC, right? Totally. There's a couple nuances in there where if you're playing enough mana rocks, enough two mana ramp spells, that is a nice scenario to get into where let's say you do make five mana on that turn. Now you can cast your mana rock for two, use that extra one for your commander for four. Now you're two ahead, but you have to now put in extra mana rocks, which I can't advocate enough putting in 10 sources of two CMC uh, ramp or more. I, I would say it's the one thing that really sets me apart from a lot of my play group is that I'm typically on turn five doing turn eight things. Right. And a lot of them haven't caught on to the ramp. They're just trying to synergize as much as possible and whatnot. And so they're on turn five or six on turn five. And I think it's a change in our format too, where it's gotten faster. It used to be like you could wait till turn three and not do much. Right. Uh, that's not the case anymore. I think you really want to be doing something on turn two. Ideally, you want to be spending your mana turn one, turn two, turn three. Right. At all of it. But yeah, it, Two mana, I, I guess we're really talking about efficiency here, which is like playing the early turn efficient 
mana ramp stuff. And we're talking about level seven, eight type stuff here. We're not talking level nine or 10. Right. Like oh. 10, 10 sources of ramp is not going to give you a level nine or 10 deck. You're talking right. almost 20 at that point. Yeah, they usually have 30 lands and 20 ramp type cards. Right. Um, well, yeah, speaking of efficiency, and we sh I guess we should talk about it here, uh, a lot of the nine and 10 power level decks will run the Mox and the Chrome oh, Mox, yeah. the Mox Opal, Mox Diamond. Um, you don't like those cards. I don't see those a lot out of you. Yeah, I don't play too many of those for a couple reasons. The first and, and most, uh, the reason that I don't do it the most is that when people see those cards, they assume that you're playing CEDH. And I don't, I have enough heat on my head just from being on game nights and whatnot, where people already want to take me down. <laughs> but... You know, when, when you start playing cards like that, it really puts a target on you. And I like to keep the target off me for as long as possible until I'm able to make some haymaker play. So that's reason number one. But reason number two is I'm not the best magic player. And I, you know, it's a real feel bad for me to like discard a card just to get one more out. Right. And, two of the mocks and you have to either discard or exile a card. Yeah. And that's enough for me to not want to play those card cards. Card disadvantage. Right. Because if, if I'm not drawing a bunch of extra cards, that has just really put me a card behind. Well, and I think when you're playing CEDH, those cards are better because the game's going to be over before the point at which that card disadvantage really costs you anything. Right. Right. People are all going to die with cards in their hand. Whereas when you're playing a little bit lower on the power scale, that card disadvantage may actually have time to hurt you. Right. And in CEDH, just doing your thing, your combo before everybody else does is a good way to win the game. But that's not always how more casual tables eight and below play out. It's a lot more give and take, you know, throw big haymakers, block some of them you know, take a few punches before you die. Whereas CDH is generally like one punch is thrown. And then if it's not stopped, everybody dies. But in, in casual, you could throw a punch and it hurts somebody that doesn't, doesn't kill them. Right. And that's, you know, you brought up an interesting point earlier too, when we were talking about this, which is, you know, I prefer cards like Mana Vault and Grim Monolith, where you prefer, or you made the argument for these moxes, as opposed to, to these others. Well, and my question was, um, what's the intrinsic difference between Mana Vault and Grim Monolith or a Moxon? They're both expensive. They're both very powerful. Both will get played in the CEDH decks. Why do you allow yourself to play one pair and not the other? Well, it's not really a pair. It's like a trio, but whatever. I personally do it because I see it as... A lot of the cards that I play, and you can see it from the recent Game Nights episode, I like to cast like seven, eight, nine CMC spells. And I like to cast them on turn three, four, five, or six. So that, you know, Grim Monolith or that Mana Vault, I leave it untapped. And when I tap it, I don't really untap it. Or I'm out of cards at that point. So I'm like, yeah, four mana to untap it. Sure, I'll prevent that one extra damage. But... For well, me, I'll reload for the next huge play. Right, exactly. Yeah. So for me, making that huge haymaker play is the way that I want to play Magic. That's just, whereas the Mox only gives you one mana, but you know it turn. might give you more mana over the course of five turns, but doesn't give you more mana all at once ever. Right. Interesting. Okay, let's talk about 
making your ramp sort of synergize with the strategy of your deck. I think that's the other thing uh, to talk about here besides the CMC of your commander. So, yeah, this is not super complicated in most cases. Like, hey, if you got a lot of creatures in your deck, you're going to want the ones that care about creatures like Cryptolith, right? Guys, Cradle. No, it's expensive. How about Growing Rights of Vintlamok? Senegos, the Reveler that we just talked about. Things like that. If you're an enchantment-based deck that cares about enchantments, has a bunch of enchantresses in it, you're going to want the enchantment-based stuff. Carpet of Flowers, Wild Growth is a really good one. You know, that type of stuff. If you are caring about artifacts, obviously you're going to go the artifact route. A lot of times, though, artifact becomes the default, that or land-based ramp, if you're in green. Absolutely. So artifact becomes the default if you don't have any green in your deck and your strategy doesn't really synergize with any of the other ramp things like your instant sorcery based deck well you can have a lot of mana rocks because instants and sorceries do give you some ramp but not a ton of variety yeah, if you're playing a team america deck what can you really play that ramps you other artifact. than artifacts yeah right. boros you're gonna play a lot of artifacts mono white mono red you're gonna play a lot of artifacts as your ramp uh even mono black's probably gonna play a bunch of artifacts if you have green touching you, in general, we will mostly play the green-based put lands into play ramp because lands are just safer in at least casual EDH than they are uh, than, than any other type of permanent. People will kill your creatures if they're mana dorks. They'll blow up your artifacts if they're mana rocks. They'll kill your planeswalkers if those are what's creating mana. They'll even disenchant your stuff sometimes. But they there will, is a social contract kind of against going after people's lands. They might blow up a land or two, but they're rarely going to blow up all of your land. So it's hard for you to just lose all the work you've done. Right. Um, so it's kind of a loophole in the system. So generally, those are the two that we see the most of. But keep in mind, if you're a creature-based deck and you care about the number of creatures on the battlefield and things like that, then maybe I wouldn't play the land-based green ramp. I would play... Elves, Birds of Paradise, those type of things. Instead. Even those enchantments that make the uh, Eldrazi's, right? Yep. Those could be great because, again, if you care about the number of creatures. So think about those things. Don't just default to rampant growth in every single deck. It might not be the best thing. Although I'll say rampant growth is never going to be embarrassing, but it, that's a way to take your deck and just slightly improve it here and there by just like, oh, maybe Land Wilds is better in this deck than rampant growth would be. Right. If you're looking for good uh, land ramp, Farseek is great. Uh, there's a couple from Portal Three Kingdoms that are fantastic. Of course, you were talking yeah. about that. No one can get their hands on Craig except you. But they're great. <laughs> uh, okay. So, oh, I did have one last thing. So we talked about efficiency already, but I wanted to talk touch on this thing. So we talked about Thran Dynamo a bunch. Yep. I put Gilded Lotus in the same category. Thran Dynamo, four mana for an artifact, taps for three colorless mana. Gilded Lotus, five mana for an artifact, taps for three mana of any one color. These are cards we used to see back when we started playing Commander a lot. Right. I'd say they were staples. They were in almost every deck. They were. They were absolutely staples back then. And how many decks do you have either of these cards in right now? And mind you, Craig has like 30 decks. Yeah, uh, two or three. I have them in Memnarch, Una, and Send Triplets. And both of, all of those have both? All of those have Gilded Lotus, and Triplets does not have Thran Dynamo because I don't need it. You need the colored I mana. I need the colored mana, and I and, need and your color. color mana. Yeah. So three out of maybe 30 decks. Yep. I think I have Thran Dynamo and Gilded Lotus in two decks out of my 25. So that's a far cry from every single deck that it used to be. And why do you think that's the case? Why do you think we've taken it out? They're fragile. I've gotten too many of them blown up after just playing them. So, you know, get it out, 
a lot of times I can't even use the Thran Dynamo because I don't have enough, like, enough, like the colorless doesn't help me. So I'm just kind of leaving it out and then it gets blown up before I can even use it. And that's just kind of a feel bad for spending four mana on something and then just having it go away. Yeah, and I think they're more likely to be targeted than like a Signet because a Signet is one extra mana to you and it's not that threatening and the player's like, don't really want to use part of my turn in a card so that you don't have one more mana. Yeah, right. But I, but if you don't have three more mana, it's a much bigger thing. They're way more likely to do it and it costs you your whole turn. So they're sort of time walking you sometimes when they do it. They're Absolutely. more likely to pull the trigger on it. So yeah, I think that there's an interesting tempo thing going on there that causes us to be a little hesitant to play those expensive mana rocks. And it definitely, you know, I think it depends a little bit on playgroup too, because in our playgroup here, there's a lot of targeted removal. However, in another playgroup that I play in, there's not that much targeted removal. So I'd feel much safer playing those cards in there because I, I wouldn't feel as vulnerable putting that out. You wouldn't feel like they're really going to like yeah, trip you up. Like, look, four mana for three is it's pretty, pretty good. fantastic yeah. when you're talking about it. But it's just so vulnerable that without Padim out or something like that to protect it, it can... Yeah, interesting, interesting. Okay. Talking about it interesting here. We're going to go into this last segment, which is, is it ramp or not? So this all sounds pretty cut and dry the way we just talked about it. But as we went through, there was a lot of cards where we were like, what about this card? Is that ramp? And we looked at each other like, huh, I don't know. Is it? So we're going to go through a bunch of cards that are like corner cases or they're on the edge and talk about and maybe try and figure out whether we would count them as ramp when we're building our deck or not. And this might help us hone in on sort of really what we think the definition of ramp is because it's a little bit nebulous and we get questions all the time by people like, hey, I'm building my deck. It's this deck. I'm thinking about this card. Does it count as ramp? Because there's a lot of cards that are on the edge or have one foot in ramp, but are they all the way there? So let's start off with Omnath, Locus of Mana, slash Crufix, God of Horizons. Both these cards do a similar thing, which allows you to kind of bank your mana and carry it over from turn to turn. Omnath lets you, it's only colorless mana. Crufix lets you make it colored, but either one kind of allows you to, I don't put your mana in a safety deposit box and then get it back on your turn. Yeah, which kind of, it's an interesting thought. Yeah, is, is either of those ramp, do you think? I see them more as fixing than as ramp. And but Omnath only gives you colorless, so it doesn't fix you. True, but it can kind of like fix you into something bigger, which is kind of That's ramp. Pretty, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it, this one's really hard. I'm not sure. I, I don't think I would count either of these as ramp when I'm building the deck. I would count yeah. them as synergy cards. Right. Uh, but I, I don't know. But they're a tool in the toolbox. It's like, okay, I'm going to make ramp with these other things and then store it here. I don't know that carrying mana over from one turn to the next is truly ramp. It's not by definition, but it is in practice because it's like, you know, we were talking about you the store a, lands earlier. And yeah. it's like you get to store up this mana for a later purpose. But you don't get more mana than you would have had. You just get but you to, do that turn. You get a, like a larger chunk. That, the next turn, right. Right, but you lost the mana from the previous turn, so you like. But you're kind of doing the same thing by putting the mana into a man in a rock. I'm just saying. Um, earlier, one of the things I said, and who knows if it's even true, um, it, or if it's even that important, but that the player who uses the most mana in a game generally wins. This doesn't cause you to use more mana. It causes right. it. It right. pu- puts where you're using mana in a different place, which can be powerful. Sure, but generally, a five drop and a four drop are roughly going to be equivalent to yeah. Maybe a nine drop. It might not be true, actually. Um, 
a nine drop is often more powerful than five five drops. So yeah, right. Yeah. So maybe I don't know. I don't know whether to count those as a ramp. <laughs> Interesting to hear. I don't think I would. I don't Here's... think when building a deck, I would count those in the ramp category. Would you count them? I would not count them in the ramp in the ramp category, but. My mind is spinning, thinking about the plays that I could make on turn three with these. <laughs> now, suddenly, I'm going to be playing against Omnath a lot, I yeah, have exactly. a feeling. <laughs> um, okay, the next one is an interesting one you brought up. It's Savage Event Mod. It's a dragon, but when it attacks, you get to add six red, three green, or sorry, three red and three green to your mana pool. And it has that weird caveat where you get to carry it through your phase. So well, it has to, otherwise, yeah. You lose it anyways, right? Would you count Savage Event Maw as a ramp card? I wouldn't, and the reason why is because I view anything at 5 CMC and over as kind of a win more card. I, it, at 5 CMC, in my mind, you're not ramping anymore because you're past the point of You should ramp. be doing stuff. Right. There's exceptions though, right? There are definitely Mirari's exceptions. Wake. Mirari's Wake, I will accept. Yeah, that's a ramp <laughs> card that I'll play at 5 because it's so powerful. True. It takes you from turn 5 to turn 12. Right. Um... But Savage Venma, I think part of the pro because I definitely wouldn't count Savage Venma as a ramp card in the deck either. Right. And trying to figure out why was interesting. And I think what I landed on was reliability. Right. So Savage Venma has to attack to do its thing. It's you're just not always going to get attack off. People and, and people people know about that card. Absolutely. There's a lot of combos with it and things yep. like that. They're rarely going to let you attack. So you cannot count on it doing its thing. Yep. So if I guess ramp when I'm counting it for my deck, when I've laid out my deck and I'm building it or I'm tweaking it or whatever, and I'm like, okay, how many ramp cards do I have? I want the ramp cards to reliably ramp me. Right. I, I pretty much know they're going to do it most of the time. There can be some amount of variance where like, okay, it's 85% of the time it's going to do it. It doesn't have to be 100%. And I would say 85% of the time you also want that ramp to be 3 CMC or under. True. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I wouldn't normally count a lot of high CMC stuff as ramp. They're more like finishers that just happen right. to... Part of the finishing is getting a ton of mana. Right. But Savage Mint Mod is interesting because it's kind of in the middle. It's not like eight or nine mana, but it's it gives you a bunch of mana if it works, but it's the if it works part, I think, that, that sort of turns me off. I think it's also possible to count cards as like portions of a ramp card. So rather than 10 ramp... We want 10 ramp cards in our deck, but we might actually have 12 cards in the ramp category and I'm counting Omnath as half of a ramp card and this other thing as half of a ramp card and kind of piecing it together so that it's close enough to 10. But I think, when you're I think building it, you don't count it as half, do you? Yeah, I might do that. Do you? Okay. I might have like 13 ramp cards. There's nine that are solid ramp cards and these four all have a little bit a of little ramp in them. The, okay, and I that, get it. I'll add those up and add those four. They count as one ramp card all total together. Yeah. I don't know that I would even put Savage Event Ma in that category, though. I think it's more of a combo synergy piece. I absolutely only use it as combo synergy. I have it in two decks and it... You don't count as ramp at all. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. go with, uh, what's it called? The extra extra attack phases. Yeah, Aggravated Assault. Aggravated Assault. Yeah, that'll maybe. make you a lot of friends. Okay. <laughs> um, here's an interesting one. You you talked about a little bit earlier. Crucible of Worlds slash Ramanap Excavator. They let you play lands from your graveyard rather than from your hand. So you can hit your land drop for a turn by playing a land out of your graveyard. I think a lot of people think this is ramp. It's not. It's definitely fixing slash card draw. Yeah, I would call it card advantage, card draw, uh, because that's a card you wouldn't have had access to. Like, it's basically in your hand for that turn. But it doesn't give you extra land plays. Nope, not unless you have... Uh... 
another card that allows you to fetches. do it. In which case, that card is allowing you to do it. No, the oh, fetch but it's does, not extra plays. I get it. Yeah, right, yeah, like yeah, if you're, you're on turn six, turn. Crucible Worlds doesn't allow you to put a seventh land into play. Right. It allows you to eat more easier, find a land. It fetch. They're awesome with fetch lands because as long as you have one fetch in your graveyard, you can play it every turn with Crucible of Worlds. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't ramp you. So I think that's a common misconception. Um, okay, here's... These are interesting. How about ritual-type cards? And rituals are... Dark Ritual is the first ritual card. This isn't a one-time usage, instant or sorcery generally, that creates mana. So Dark Ritual is one black mana. When you cast... When you when it resolves, you get three black mana. There's also High Tide, uh, which yeah. is a... Counts as a ritual. It makes your islands tap for double for that turn. Actually, sorry. It makes everybody's islands tap for double for that turn tap for two two uh blue mana geyser is a big one yeah love it, that card. it adds red to your mana pool equal to the number of tapped lands your opponents control which is can be nuts can give you 25 30 mana all in one turn you should be playing that card if you're not do you count rituals as ramp i do uh just because i typically count my ramp to get my commander out i do build a lot of my decks commander centric and those types of cards help me get my commander out two or three turns early, and that's why I'm playing them. Mm -hmm. And so I do consider those as ramp. I think by the strict definition, they are ramp, right? It's hard to say, because that's all they do. They give you mana. Right. So it's hard to say they're not ramp. But on that same note, I don't think I would count them as ramp when I'm brewing a deck. I think for me, ramp is reliable and repeatable. They're not value enough for Josh. Yeah, and it might it, that might be my proclivity for value, but it also because that's card disadvantage, which is interesting because you don't yeah. want to play the Moxin because they're card disadvantage yet. But I ritual. so I play the ritual. I, so I play Dark Ritual yeah. in Damia, where yeah. I want to get rid of cards so sure. I can draw more cards. There's it. I look at my commander and I decide what does this commander need. Yeah, so yeah. in I mean, that, that deck, I absolutely consider that ramp because it's it helps me get her out a turn earlier. It gets rid of a card, so now I'm drawing an extra card, so I'm seeing more cards. I have ways to access my graveyard in that, so that's, that's not a lost card anymore. I can still access it with Archaeomancer or whatever. You okay, know. I can get, get behind this because I think like in a Kess Dissonant Mage deck, yep. Dark Ritual is pretty good because you can cast it over and over again, so therefore it becomes repeatable. So you're right. It's not that different than, let's say, Lanwar Elves or something like that. Where well, you it's get like, two uses out of it. Cause, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're yeah. right. Yeah, because it exiles. Um, so, but I think in that respect, it's not that different than, you know, some other more narrow type of ramp cards in other decks that are like, uh, I play this in this deck because it synergizes well with what else the deck is doing. So I sure. can get behind that. Mana Geyser, though, I think that falls more on the side of like a finisher. Absolutely. I use it in uh, Zakama as a way of just like blowing everything up, blowing everything up or casting like 18 cards from my hand. Yeah. So it's not generally used to like cast your commander earlier. <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> although I have used it to get out Zakama early, but that doesn't work as well as you'd want it to. <laughs> uh, we talked about Mana Vault, Grim Monolith, Basalt Monolith already. Um, I think Mana Vault's similar to a ritual, honestly. I, I don't... I think there's a lot of decks playing Mana Vault that Mana Vault's not that good in your deck. I, I Absolutely. I had to reevaluate Mana Vault in a lot of my decks. And, you know, as we keep going back to, I looked at the CMC of my commander and what that commander's trying to do. Because a lot of times, let's be honest, Mana Vault never gets untapped with its text during the game. So I think if you don't have at least a couple of ways that you could possibly untap your Mana Vault 
without paying that four mana. Right. Then in general, you don't want it in the deck. Now, maybe if your CMC of your general is very high or playing Kyrick or something like that, where right. you want Right, or you know that you're, you know, reliably getting Seedborn out in this deck or something right, like right. that. Right, right. That's a way to untap it. Right. So, right. yeah. I think if you had Seedborn Muse in the deck and maybe one other way to untap it, then Much you can... Much more probable. You yeah. can play it. Yeah, that's totally fine. Speaking of Seedborn Muse, Seedborn Muse, is that a ramp card? No, but it so but it can kind of be. <laughs> so if you're and, and I, I would, let's real quick before you you answer, we could throw in wilderness reclamation and maybe yeah. something like unwinding clock as similar question. Sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the right deck, like if you're playing Thran Dynamo pretty consistently in that deck, sure. Or if it's a lot of instance in that deck, absolutely. Because now you can play those cards on other people's turns. But without a mana sink, Seedborn Muse can be a tricky card because it, it allows you to do more, but it's very limited to what you have access to. I mean, definitely we've all seen the Seedborn Muse that gets played and the person doesn't have a way to take advantage of mana on other players' turns and it does nothing. Yeah. However, is that the fault of Seedborn Muse? That doesn't make it not a ramp card. I think they've just either put it in the wrong deck yes, or just exactly drawn a bad hand. It's not dissimilar from Dark Ritual in non-Damia decks, right? Right, absolutely. Or non-Kestissonant Mage decks, where it's just maybe not as efficient. But I think Seedborn Muse is a ramp card. It provides you with additional mana, a ton of additional mana. Yeah, a ridiculous amount. Now, you have to put it in a deck that can use that mana at that time, but, I mean, if you're not putting it in a deck that can use the mana at the time, that's not the card's fault. It's kind of the deck brewer's fault. Absolutely. I mean, it makes a lot of sense in any deck that you can... You know, like Zakama, where you can use that mana yep. at any Thrasios. point. Thrasios. Uh, Rune makes a lot of sense because then you can untap them and keep blinking stuff. If your commander has a built-in way to dump mana into it... Or just has a lot of instance right, speed or, stuff. Exactly. Then Seedborn is an obvious ramp card. Why do you put it in quotation marks? Because I don't see it as it's it's conditional. It's like any but other so conditional is, card. Yeah, but so is a lot of this stuff. Fair. I guess it's because you can't necessarily do it on your turn that I'm kind of feeling like Right. You it requires you to build around it a little bit, but right. the outcome it given like Guy's Cradle, ramp card? Yeah, absolutely. But what if you have no creatures? Yeah, it's conditional. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, got him. Um, all right, here's another interesting one. It's a similar, I think, argument, which is Ashnod's Altar. This is mm. a three-mana artifact, sacrifice a creature, and put two colorless mana in your mana pool. Yep. Would you count Ashnod's Altar as a ramp card? So I have it in quite a few decks. I do not count it as ramp in those decks. I count it as an extra piece that I can use It's like for a ramp. synergy combo piece? Yeah, I kind of do what you do where I count it as like a half a pointer yeah. of ramp. I think I count it sometimes and sometimes I don't. And that has to do with the likelihood that I have dispensable creatures in that deck. So there are different types of decks that, you know, some I need the sacrifice outlet to do certain things, but that doesn't mean that I'm always going to be sacrificing creatures or always have creatures to sacrifice lying around. Some decks are token based or whatever. And 
pretty much I'm always going to have creatures that I'm willing to sacrifice at any given time. And in those ones, I'm more likely to count it as ramp. Whereas in the other ones, I think, yeah, this is kind of like when I'm going to go off, I'm going to kind of use this. So then I wouldn't count it as ramp because it's kind of more situational. It's it's less reliable in those decks. I guess I'm falling back on this reliable thing quite a bit. No, that actually makes perfect sense because I have it in all of my token decks. I probably should consider it as a source of ramp in there because in Risk, Gave, and in Prosh, it's, it, I'm always getting at least something where I can, like, risk. I could just make a token turn three, sack it to that. Now I'm playing uh, six CMC on turn four. So there's definitely uh, advantageous uh, ways to play that. But in, like, Damia, I also have it just as a way of, like, if somebody targets my stuff, I could sack it, make mana. I can always access that graveyard. But it's not reliably but it's, Yeah, and mana. I'm not playing a lot of creatures in that deck. It's more of a, like, save my creature in case somebody else comes after it. Or tries to steal it or whatever. Absolutely. Or tries to exile it. Maybe you want it to go to the graveyard instead. All right, here's an interesting one. Uh, Magus of the Candelabra. Or Candelabra of Thanos if you're super if you can... baller and you can... Do you have one? I have one. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> you got a tabernacle. Craig's got every card. Uh, so, Megas of the Candelabra is a creature. We're talking about the Megas because it's way easier to get a hold of. You pay X and tap it, and then you untap X lands. Right. So, you get ostensibly the same number of stuff as you started with, right? Uh, you tap five, and then you untap five. You're still at five. There's ways to abuse this, obviously. Absolutely. Any sort of mana doubler and freed from the real on uh, Magus of the Candelabra, infinite mana. High Tide. High Tide. Classic incredible. One. Absolutely. Which I do consider High Tide to be a ramp source as well. Right, because it's like Dark Ritual. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I would say those are absolutely. You think Magus of the Candelabra is? Even though you have to do some work? Uh... Like, why is it in your deck if you if you don't have the other pieces? So I use I use it in Memnarch, and this is the actual Candelabra, because I have a lot of mana doublers, and then I try to go infinite with it, or I try to make a ton well, of Well, you have mana. ways to untap the Candelabra. Exactly. Yeah. And so... But that's combo-y. Yeah, that's, that's not ramp. You're not using synergy. that to, like, get five mana on turn three or seven mana on turn five. You're very right. I've, I've absolutely looked at that as ramp in that deck when building it. Like, absolutely. You counted it as one of your I ten ramp I definitely counted as ramp. But now that I'm talking about it, you're right that it's... And I've had a lot of times where I've had that card, but not the mana doubler. And it's... Doesn't do much. Doesn't do much. Yeah. And yeah, now you're just like, and I use this colorless land to untap my island. <laughs> so maybe it's more like Mana Geyser where it's more of kind of a combo finisher or an explosive play, but it's not so much a ramp card. Yeah, I think it's actually, now that I'm talking about it, like an absolute combo piece. All right, let's talk about the next one. This is interesting. Keeper of Progenitus. This is a card that costs three and a green for a 1-3 Elf Druid. It says, whenever a player taps a mountain, forest, or plains for mana, that player adds one mana to his or a mana pool of any type that land produced. So it doubles mana for certain lands for every player. Super it, interesting. Is this ramp? So in the deck that I play it in, yes. I play it in Zakama to make sure that... Now Zakama's all of his lands tap for double, and I don't care that everybody else is tapping for double because in all likelihood, they don't have those three. They might have like one or two or three of them, but they likely don't have their entire deck built around it like I do. Uh, I also play uh, Mana Flare and uh, 
the other, the green one that has everybody and dictate of Karametra as well. That makes everybody's lands tap for double in that because you're saying I'm I can take advantage of this more, way than. more than you can. So, so in that deck specifically, I view it as ramp. I would view it as ramp, even if I were playing it in a five color deck, just because it does help my stuff tap for more. But I'm very much with you that I don't like helping other players. I Well, it's interesting because it, we defined ramp earlier as having access to more mana than you would have if you just played your land for turn every turn. Which this does. Which this meets the criteria. But is there something to be said for having access to more mana than your opponents? Absolutely, there's something to be so said. So Mana Flare is an interesting one, maybe more interesting than Keeper of Progenitus. Let's, let's switch over to Mana Flare here as sure. the example because I think it's a better one. You play Mana Flare, yep, and it gets you on even footing again with every, like it didn't get you necessarily advantage. I think Keeper of Regenitus is interesting, and probably Ramp for sure because I like what you said. They're unlikely to be in Naya specifically. Right. They might have one toe here, one toe there. They might have two out of three, but they're not getting the full. So they're getting sixty six percent of it. You're getting one hundred percent of it. That's a clear advantage for you. You're probably going to end up with more man out of it than than, than them. And they're non basics that don't have a. Uh... Uh, basic type, right? Uh, don't, don't count for don't. that. Right. But mana flare is just like everybody Anyone. just doubles the amount of mana they have, uh, the amount of land based mana they have. In that case, I don't know if I would count that as ramp because it equalizes. So, in a lot of situations, it would. But the way that I use it in the Zakama deck, because I only play it in Zakama, because I agree, it's it's helping everybody else get there. But the way that I use it in Zakama is I'll wait till I'm at seven mana, play that for three, or wait till I'm at, you know, more. But are you playing it like a ramp spell then? Yes, I'm playing it like a ramp spell in that I'm casting that first, then tapping the rest of my mana to get Zakama out, untap all of it, now it taps for double. Right. And so it's... But that sounds more like Mana Geyser than it does like a ramp spell. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like a finisher-type play, like a game-winning play. Definitely, you know, I use it to, yeah, as a kind of way to set me aside so that it's like, I have Zakama out now with a ton of untapped lands that tap for double. I can blow up everything. Or I can, yeah, either I take care of your stuff now before you can do anything about it, or... I hold that over your head. Exactly. Interesting. Um, okay, here's another one. The bounce lands. I think Ooh. a lot of people get tripped up on these. So these are lands that tap for two mana. They come into play tapped. But when you play them, you have to return one of your lands to your hand. Yes, you can return the bounce land to your hand if you want to. Don't do that. That doesn't do anything. <laughs> Usually you tap a land for mana, use that mana, and then you play your bounce land as a land for a turn. So it basically is the same as a guild gate or something where it comes into play tapped, but it taps for two from now on. Right. But remember, you returned a land to your hand. So it's really like... If it's turn five, you can still only tap for f- five mana or six mana next turn. Like, it doesn't get you ahead on lands for turn. Right. Unless you have something like the Magus of the Candelabra or something like that. Fate Stitcher, one of my favorites, to untap right. it. Uh, but I think in that case, the Magus or the Fate Stitcher is giving you the extra mana, not necessarily the bounce land. Yeah, definitely. Here's the thing. It's card draw, though. Or it's card yeah. advantage. It's card advantage. And, you know, I've heard arguments for these uh, dual bounce lands that... That make a lot of sense. I don't play them in any of my decks, but I've definitely, they've been on the fringe for me for quite a while because they do. They give you card advantage. You return a card to your hand. Now you know you have another land drop. So in Think of a hand that you start that has two regular lands, a bounce land, 
and four cards in it. Right. Now you, you have, have an eight-card hand because you have four mana in hand yep. and four cards. So that's really like drawing an extra card. I like to have one bounce land uh, in most decks. Not a lot because they're lands that come into play tapped, basically. Sure. Uh, but drawing them early and being able to fit a turn in where you weren't going to use that one extra mana anyway. I'd definitely be interested to see some stats on that because, again, this is where I'm not a very good Magic player. I have the feel bad of, like, returning something to my hand, having it come into play tapped, and I'm like, mm, I don't like that. But then afterwards, like you're saying, those tap for double, like, in Zakama, that's... That's just another land really that's good. going to be really good. I mean, it's the same as having two lands on play, though, unless you're going to do something. It's not as good with mana flares and stuff, too, right? Because it only adds one. It only extra. adds one, sure. So right, I don't know right. if Instacama is yeah. necessarily the right place to play it. But I do think the card advantage from it is a thing. But it's definitely not ramp. I think people get confused about that because, hey, it's a land that taps for two, like Temple of the False God, which Temple, when it works, is ramp because it didn't cost you to bounce a land to your hand to tap for right. two. Yeah. Um, okay, here's one that we thought about for a while. It's Sword of Feast and Famine. Oh, yeah. So this is an equipment. If the It gives protection from green and black, plus two, plus two. When it deals combat damage to an opponent, they have to discard a card, and you get to untap all lands you control. Yeah, unbelievable card. Uh, is it ramp? I question it. You brought up a great point when we were going over this, which is like, how many times do you play that card strap it to something, attack, and now you just got a free attached sort of feast and famine. Right, you play it on turn five, three, two, equip, attack, untap the lands, and you basically play the card in your hand at no cost because you get all that mana back. Right, got them to discard a card. In those cases, I would say that's about 50% of the time that I play that card, which is a good percentage. But... Again, just like with the Thran Dynamo, I've had so many times where I play that card. Everybody cool? Cool? All right. Spend two to equip it. Um, in response, you know, and it's like, oh, no. I just spent five mana and either my creature's gone or now the sword's gone. Like, it, it feels True. Bad. I mean, I think that's your fault, right? Because <laughs> you need to look around and be like, who Fair. might be able to kill this thing? Maybe I don't Fair. make that play Blue this Blue mana untapped. Yeah, well, <laughs> the end response is probably a sword if they let you resolve the yeah, thing. Fair. I mean, sorry, sorry, a sword supply shares. Right. <laughs> I mean, I see, I counted it as ramp definitely because I think the reliability of it is pretty high. Right. Given that you meet a pretty minimal criteria, similar to Guy's Cradle, which is like, hey, I got to have some creatures on the board. And as long I'm, as you do, listen... Carpet of Flowers, we said you should play because there's almost always a blue a blue player. There is always a green player yeah. at the table. Green is by far the most played color. It gives protection from green. So you almost always have a free attack. I don't think maybe one in 50 times have I ever played it and been like, I don't have a free attack. And in most of those cases, it's, you're, it's a 5-5 five five now and you can just attack anyway. Yeah, right. So I think it's higher than 50% that you're able to play it and swing with it. And it, on those... Turns where you can't do that, you don't play it. You just wait till a, you do have a creature out that can attack. Right. So, and and when it works, it's insanely powerful because it can yeah, give you when twelve it works, mana. It's crazy. Yeah. So I think it's reliable enough and it's powerful enough that it kind of straddles the line where it's like, yeah, it's not as reliable as rampant growth. Obviously, it's not even maybe as reliable as guy's cradle has some criteria that you have to meet. But the powerful level is so high, like similar to Marari's Wake for you, how you're right. like, listen, I don't like 
ramp that costs five CMC, but, but. <laughs> I'll make an exception when it's so powerful. Right. And I think Sword of Feast and Famine kind of fits that mold for me. So for me... Yeah, it does almost double your mana. Yeah. I mean, it essentially does, except for the artifacts and blah, blah, blah. And there's tricky stuff you can do with it with Double Strike and things like that. Oh, and so, yeah. like, and the disc... It obviously, it has other benefits, too. Uh, that's overlap, which we're not talking about in this episode. But I would count um, Sword of Feast and Famine as ramp in most decks that... Obviously, you would put it in. You have to have some creatures in the deck. That's absolutely. You, you really, can't put it in like a Mizzix deck or something that has right. one creature in it. Like, okay, then that's not the card's fault, though. That's the deck builder's fault. You bring up an interesting point that I've never seen it as a ramp card when I put it into decks. But man, I have that card in a lot of decks because it's just so good. And the payoff, why do I have it in there? To untap my lands. It's not to make somebody discard. It's not really for the protection. It's because I want to ramp with it. Right. But I never considered it a ramp card when I'm putting it in. But the 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 contrast with Savage Ventmaw is really interesting, right? Where it's similar. It's very similar. It's similar. However, it has haste. I think if Savage Ventmaw had haste, we might be more likely to count it. It yeah. costs a little bit less. Um, it is more versatile because Savage Ventmaw gives you specifically six mana. You got to use it right now. Yep. Untapping your lands is more powerful than that because you can hold it open during other players' turns. It adds up, and I think it's just more reliable to do what you want to do than something like Savage Ventmaw. But it is interesting that the line between what's ramp and what's not is somewhere between those two cards. It definitely is, yeah. All right, let's talk about a couple more here before we, before we go. Um, here's a new one everyone was really hyped on. It's, it's Dockside Extortionist. It's one in red for a one-two. It says, when it enters the battlefield, you create X treasure tokens, where X is the number of artifacts and enchantments your opponents control. Is this a ramp card? So, yes. On its face, yes, it is. But I've seen it used to such varying success. Like, I played a game the other day where somebody played it on turn two. They got two mana, they ramped into something, whatever. They, in a later game... It's a ritual game, kind of in that Right, instance. or a signet or something like that. Like, I guess it's a better because... than a signet because it's giving you two. Or no, it gave them two. But signet is going to give you one for five turns in a row. That's going to give you two and be done. Fair. Yeah, I think it's a good point. That's why I think it's a ritual. Maybe a ritual you can save till next turn. But sure, sure, sure. Maybe it's more like a monolith. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good points. But later on in the game, they were able to use it for 15 mana. And that was the game-ending play. It was 15 mana, I do this, 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 expropriate, you know, so... <laughs> the this, this, this didn't matter because they yeah. played expropriate. expropriate. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> key phrase expropriate. Um, but, so it's, it's definitely a ramp card in my view, but with varying degrees of success. Yeah, I guess that's what, that's the question. Would you count it in as one of your 10 ramp cards when building a deck? I would because it's 2 CMC. See, I wouldn't because very often uh, you can't play it on turn two. Sure. Because there'll be zero. Right. You don't want to play it at a loss, right? Yeah. Or at just like what it's at. Yeah. You really don't even want to play it if it's just one. Yeah, you really don't. I'm with I don't you. even know if I really want to play it if it's two. I mean, if you can recur it. I would whatever. play it for one if then that got me to one ahead the next turn to do something else. like. So like if your commander was three C, no four CMC, say? Or if I had a card in my hand that was like, oh, I need four mana for this and I could then do this next turn and then I've sure, got Sure, but this. then it's just worse than a Moxin, right? You played a card to make one additional mana. I will make the argument that I still have one extra card in my hand. How? Because it's I play that. 
Yeah. It's one card. I don't have to get rid of two. But it's the moxin, one. you have a moxin on the board from then on. But I have I got rid of a card for that moxin. It's like the mox plus another card. Right, but Doxite Extortionist is a card that you used. Right, but it's not two. Correct, but you use it as done. You're not making you use that treasure, it's gone. Whereas the I mox sits on the board sits and, on the board and, continue and continues to, to make mana sure. every turn from then on out until right. it gets destroyed or whatever. But there's different types of ramps. So there's times when I want two mana that next turn, and there's times that I want one mana for four turns. Yeah. It depends on my the way that I've built my deck. And for me personally, which I think you know, the way that I like to play is like I want to get as big of a thing as I can out as soon as possible. Right. So for me... And I'll sacrifice whatever. And I'll sacrifice whatever it takes to get there. And so for me, getting more mana at, a, at an earlier phase, even if it's just two or one off that, as opposed to holding off or doing something that gets me just one every turn at the, at the loss of two cards, I view that as acceptable because I'm building towards a different strategy typically. Interesting. I've seen Doxai Extortionist be pretty lackluster. I have seen one time where it was awesome, but yeah. I'd say that the variance is pretty high on the card. I don't like it from the reliability standpoint. So I think I would probably count it as a, if I put it in a deck, which there's only like two I would even consider it for, I'd probably think of it as a portion of a ramp card, but not a full ramp card. Because I don't think it's reliably doing what I want, which is on turn two, giving me, you know, extra mana you know at that point i think there's certain number of games where on turn two there's just nothing you can't you'll get zero off of it and even getting one is not good i, I want at least two and preferably more does have the upside obviously on turn 14 to do something crazy but even there's many games on turn 14 where it's still only gonna get you two well, three. There, there's also different types of decks like i would absolutely i don't have a dockside extortionist but if i did you don't I have would, one or you just don't have one in a deck i don't have one. Oh wow um but if I did, I would probably put it in like a red-blue deck that's playing something like Deadeye Navigator or something like that. Something where I could blink it and abuse it. Right. Um, which I haven't really found that yet. I don't have a deck like that currently, it's so hard. that's why Like I you can say it. that, but there's not a lot of red-blue decks that want Deadeye, right? Because... It's fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Because it, most of the blinky decks rune... Uh, Brago. They right. They have red. They don't have red. Exactly. So you can't, yeah. And it's like even Yarok doesn't have red. All right, let's talk yeah. about let's talk about one more here. We'll we'll end it with another red card that people were very hyped on. I'd say this was the Dockside Extortionist of last year. I was super hyped on this card. It turned out yeah, it's not that good, yeah. <laughs> All right, it's, it's Treasure Nabber, two and a red for a 3-2 Goblin Rogue. Whenever an opponent taps an artifact for mana, gain control of that artifact until the end of your next turn. So they have to tap a mana for artifact or an artifact for mana, and then you get that until the end of your next turn, um, which ostensibly means you can untap with it and use it and then give it back. You get a use out of it, unless you have something like Unwinding Clock or something like that, and then you can. True. Or, you know, you can do mean things like sack it so they never get it back or whatever. Um, would you count this as a ramp card when you're building your deck? Yeah, okay, it's conditional. I wouldn't count it as a ramp card, but it can work as a ramp card in the right conditions. I certainly wouldn't count it as that, but it, it can certainly act as that. I find it super unreliable, unreliable yeah. to the point of like you can't count on it at all. Many, many, most games probably you get almost no use out of it. In fact, it almost works more like a stacks piece than a ramp piece. Yeah, right. Whereas it prevents them from tapping their mana rock. They exactly. normally won't tap it into the face of this because they're too scared you're going to play something, sack their rock, somehow keep their rock forever, uh, you know. 
I yeah. wanted to play this like at the time that it came out, right? We all start brewing in our heads. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, this card, I'm going to steal their stuff and then I'm going to sack it to this like yeah. Claws of Gix or something. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> and so I tried to build that deck and it was awful. Like, because you realize you're building around one three drop in your deck. Yeah, not... exactly. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this effect's going to be so cool. It's going to be so oppressive. And yeah, it didn't, I don't know. It doesn't do much. I guess for me, and it's interesting, our divergence here, ramp means reliable and repeatable to a lesser extent. I do think, I do agree with you, like High Tide and Dark Ritual are our uh, ramp cards. I don't run them a lot. Yeah, I don't I run them in a lot. ideally like to be able to reuse them to in order to even, you know, make it palatable for me to run them. But they are definitely ramp cards. But I th- think, and, and you know what, Treasure Nabber technically is a ramp card in that that's all it does. It's just not a good ramp card, I guess. And that's why I wouldn't count it. Well, it's so conditional. It's either... It it runs the gamut of being lackluster to amazing. The problem is it's up to your opponents what it is because you can't control the part of it. And that's why I think Dockside Extortionist is similar. Not the exact same. But you can't build your deck in a way to take advantage of it. Whereas Seedborn Muse, we had a little discussion about it, but ultimately you've built your deck. So can you take advantage of Seedborn Muse? Right. These other two cards, they rely on your opponents specifically doing things that you can't control. You don't even know what they're playing necessarily when you sit down and pull out your deck. And so that makes them way more unreliable because yes, they're narrow and so is Seedborn Muse or so is some of these other cards, but the narrowness can't be mitigated by you. It has to be mitigated by your opponents. Right. Which I think makes them quite a bit worse. Uh, quite a bit more unreliable. Okay. Yeah, I'll agree with that. We've gone on long enough here. We are going <laughs> to move on to, to the listeners, what's your favorite ramp card? What about the final section where we were saying, is this card ramp or not? Or is there anything in there where you disagreed with our assessment or agreed with one of us? Because I don't think we agreed the whole time. Yeah. Any uh, cards that we missed? Yeah. There are... Uh, any cards that you would consider ramp that we thought weren't or vice versa, let us know in the comments on Twitter, all the social medias, all of that. And if there are any of these cards that you would like to pick up, like maybe a Sword of Feast and Famine, which I can say from experience you should have probably have in more of your decks, please go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link when you order all of your Magic products, singles, anything at all, you really are supporting this show, Game Nights, all of our content. And while you're there, or if you're in an LGS or anywhere else online retailer, Take a look at some Ultra Pro products. They really do have awesome stuff that protect, protects all of your cards, your decks. They have deck boxes. They got awesome sleeves. They have play mats. They have stuff that not only protects, but also makes your battlefield look sweet. So they got like relic tokens, metal dice that are really, really awesome. Not even just the battlefield. They have these sweet uh, like scrolls. Oh, that, yes. Uh, they have this one with the stained glass, another one with Dominaria over there. Like they're pretty sweet. Yeah, so check out Ultra Broke products. Uh, again, you'll be supporting all of our content. Okay, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. We usually let the guests tackle the end step. Do you have anything cool, Craig, that you'd like to talk about? Let's see. It was just Christmas. I was on game nights. I watched uh, the most recent Star Wars. Is that something? Oh yeah, let's talk about. about? I have not watched it, and this is the uh, the first Star. No, that's not true. I solo I hadn't seen anything about. Okay. But this is the first like what do they call it? Saga Star Wars that I have know nothing about besides like the advertisement and stuff. Don't spoil anything for I me. I won't. But... but I have a question for you before we even get started. Okay. So you've been very close to the Star Wars movies before. You've edited a lot of the trailers. Right. I, I've been involved I've known about the process of like the script writing and the things like that now, on the inside. To preface, yeah. Jimmy and a lot of the people that 
are around him are very critical of almost any Star Wars that comes out. Sure. Are you that guy too? No. Okay. I mean, hmm. it's an interesting thing in LA because so many people are movie people. Right. And I went through this, uh, this uh, phase as well where like, okay, I'm not talking bad about Jimmy, but I'm just saying like being critical of movies when you're a movie person is fun and interesting because you're into movies and so you dissect them and in a way that like a botanist would dissect a plant and get into the really the minutiae of like what makes the plant tick and the interesting things to them would be very interesting to them and but they don't view movies in the same way that a um, normal civilian on the street would which is like did I enjoy it was it mostly like funny and fun they're not like thinking like boy the continuity in that one scene was so awesome it just totally took me out of the movie you know what I mean yeah absolutely so I give those Jimmy and and Freddie and all the film people a little bit of past because I was that person for a very long time right, before right. I sort of learned to lean back and be like, you know what, I'm just going to suspend my disbelief and and try to enjoy most movies and not trying to make myself feel smart by like picking it apart, even though like I think there are many, many flaws with the Star Wars movies, um, the modern Star Wars movies. So I think, you know, I've enjoyed them. Okay. How about that? I didn't see this one, obviously. Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. And I, I came into Star Wars late. like So I didn't even see the first three until I was almost 20 years old. So there was no real... You don't have like your childhood wrapped up in it? Yeah. Like there was no nostalgia for me. It was like I saw the first three and honestly, I'm going to get a lot of hate here. Uh-oh. I wasn't that impressed with the first three the first time I saw them. Uh-huh. So... And then when, God, when the 90s came out and then the one, two, and three came out. So I went to all of those in the theaters. I was, I raced when I was a kid. I was actually a go-kart racer. And so like the pod racing scene, I love. How old were you? Uh, let's see. 98? Yeah. I was in high school, like early parts of high school. Cause I remember going with a certain set of friends. So like 14-ish? Yeah. Like 14-ish. And I enjoyed those. I also had a major crush on uh, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. Yeah, yeah, right. So, Had? yeah. <laughs> so I very much enjoyed those movies. Uh, and then coming into the most recent ones, I really love going back and seeing like Solo. I thought that was fantastic. I thought uh, Rogue One was. I'd probably put that as my number one Star Wars movie. I am going to get so much hate over all this, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> So I, <laughs> I'm not even getting yeah, into exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. I'm, say I'm stuff, like saying things that are I disagree so with wrong. some of the things he said. As far as like, I disagree <laughs> the, in that that wouldn't be my list. But here's what I've learned: arguing about what somebody's favorite ice cream flavor is is stupid. Right. So like, yeah, I just don't like these online arguments about like people are basically trying to convince me to like something or dislike something. It's like, that's just crazy. You don't give somebody like a ice, a bowl of ice cream and they're like, I don't like this very much. Yes, you do. Yeah. Here's I, why. You can't taste the hint of hazelnut in the book. <laughs> what? No, they didn't like it. You can't convince them through rhetoric that they're going to like it. Exactly. And that's really my point is that like, I have a different, uh, view of this than a lot of other people like for me it was just a way to pass time and you know i didn't really get so much into the backstory and whatnot so i don't care if there's little inconsistencies like it's oh my gosh it clashes with the animated series from 17 years ago or whatever like you wouldn't care at all now (laughs) if it was lord of the rings i'd have a major issue with it so you do understand those people then because i do i have that for other things yeah i just have a different perspective on it in that that wasn't my childhood the lord of the rings was more my childhood because i read the i read the books and what not 
And I think I went through the mourning period because I was a little older. I'm a little older than you. And when the prequels came out, that felt like a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah. It, it just, I hate to use that kind of phrasing because, you know, it's not fair to the people that made the thing and probably had like a, like, I know how hard it is to make like good movies. So I hate to be critical of it because right. it's so hard. It's it like is. incredibly hard. It's not hard. Like painting the Sistine Chapel was hard. It's hard. Like coal mining hard. Right. You know? So I, I don't like to be critical of it. And so I don't mean to be, but I was disappointed by the prequels. Sure. Um, and so I think it's almost like I went through that morning period and I was a little more numb when the modern saga came out where I sure. was. <laughs> so I went into it with lower expectations. I was working on Force Awakens, yep. but I didn't go in thinking this is going to be the greatest thing of all time. I went in hesitant, like, let's temper our expectations. You know, if it's fun and it's funny, it'll be fine. I don't, I don't need it. My soul doesn't need it to be a masterpiece right? for me to like... <laughs> you know, continue to live in the world or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? I so, do. I get it. So like, I was like, yeah, it's fine. You know, there's problems, whatever. It was fun. I'll watch the next one. And I did, and I will, and I'm going to watch this new one. You know, we were traveling for the holidays, so I haven't been able to watch it yet. And I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm going to be more like you, I think. Yeah. I'll leave it at this. It's worth watching. I'm excited to watch it again. Oh, well, yeah. that's, that's, that's high praise. I don't watch very many movies twice. So I watch a lot of movies. Twice. Oh, okay. So maybe it's not high praise. <laughs> All right. Uh, our editing, graphics, and logistics team is Craig Blanchett. He will be working on this episode. Ashlyn Rose, Alfred Asaka, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Sam Waldo, and Lady Danger, who will probably be the one uh, and usually is the one now in the trenches doing most of the work on these podcast episodes. She's doing a great job. Uh, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Leaving Card anim animations that start and end every episode of the show and are right behind us. That's Search First Canta. Good job, Jeffrey. You can find him on Twitter at Living Cards MTG. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace. I, I, I was waiting for you to say something, but oh. it didn't come. <laughs> Peace, it's <all> right. guys. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs>
when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.